My name is Beth Graham. I'm the lead pastor here at Gate City Vineyard. I'm so glad you're all here. Welcome. If you're with us new for the first time, if you've been just a couple times here, we're just so glad you're here. Um, I have the pleasure of telling you this morning that you came here for the lucky Sunday. And that's because this is the Sunday I'm talking about money and giving. Yay! Yay! Um, I know a few of you are eyeing the door now and you're thinking, can I slip out quickly without her noticing? But now that I've brought it up, I'm telling you, I will notice, see, if you slip out. But um, I think a lot of times we get funny when pastors talk about money in church. Um, we have this sense that, you know, pastors are always talking about, about money and asking for your money. Um, and, you know, I don't think, I will say, I don't think I've preached a sermon on this since the fall of 2021. So it's actually kind of well past time for that. Um, and I also just don't think we should shy away from talking about money because it's a very real part of our lives. Um, and it's something that I think we should handle very carefully. I don't think we should pressure people to give. I don't think we should hard sell them about it or promise a special blessing from God if you put more money into our building fund. No, I don't, I don't believe in that kind of talk about giving. But we have to realize that Jesus was not afraid to talk about money. There are over 500 verses in the Bible about prayer. There are almost as many verses about faith in the Bible, about 500. Want to take a guess as to how many verses about money? Over 2,000. Over 2,000. 11 of the 38 parables of Jesus all are, are about money in some way or another. Um, so obviously Jesus didn't mind talking about money, and we shouldn't mind either. It's a part of our life. It's a part of our discipleship with Christ. Um, our attitudes toward money, what we do with our money, how we think about money is something that we have to invite the Holy Spirit into. Okay, so that's really what this message is going to be about. It's about inviting the Holy Spirit into your personal life, this part of your life that is very personal to you. I'm not going to tell you how to, how to do that, but I'm going to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to come speak to you. And if he's Lord of our whole lives, he's Lord of our money. Amen? Amen. Amen. So um, I'd like to take a little bit different tack on this discussion today, which is going to be more of a historical direction. Uh, we have just come out, if you've been here with us for a while, on a six-week series on uh, the, Apostle, the Apostle Paul and his travels as he planted churches uh, along the way. And we just finished that. And when I was asking the Lord, you know, how do I preach on this topic of money now following on that? And he reminded me that Paul actually had a lot to say about money. And in fact, he said it to the churches that we've been all talking about these last six weeks. He's, he said a lot to those churches. If you carefully read the letters of Paul, Corinthians, Romans, Timothy, what you're going to see is that he devoted a lot of time to a particular collection that he was asking the churches to make for the Christians in Jerusalem. And he was organizing this collection. And this morning, I'd like us to learn about that. I'd like to learn about how Paul collected money, because if he collected money, he must have done it in a good way. Um, how did he do that? And we're going to be talking. It's going to be kind of fun. It'll feel a little bit like a continuation from the series, because we're going to be talking about some of the same churches that he um, spoke to over this time that he visited over this time and involved many of the same places. And so I want to start at the end of the story when he already has the money in hand and he's bringing it to the people in Jerusalem. It's Romans 15, 25 to 26. And he says, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So this is where I get to show you the map again. See, I just had to come up with an excuse to show you the map and to use my pointer. Yay! I'm so excited. 
You're going to see every single sermon from now until the end of the year. I'm going to think of a reason to put the map up. But um, no, I, I promise I won't. But um, it's just interesting to note when he's talking about, he said, Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution. So these are the churches over here. That's Macedonia. That's Thessalonica, Berea, Philippi. And then down here in Achaia, which is modern day Greece. So this would be Athens and Corinth are down here. And so he's saying, I'm collecting money for them to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's way down here in, Jeru in Judea. He also, we also know that the Galatian churches were involved. So the Galatian churches are up here. This is where he was in Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. And so he obviously made a collection there because in 1 Corinthians he says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. So you get this image of Paul, after having been to all these churches, he's now sending out the word, saying, I'm making a collection. Get ready for me to come by. Now, what's the collection for? We have to realize that before Paul ever started on any of his journeys, visited any of these places, there was still um, a need in Jerusalem. Those Christians in Jerusalem down in that southern part there were in great need. And there's a passage in Acts that tells us about this. This is what they call the first collection. All right, um, this is before Barnabas and Paul even started their, um, their missionary journeys. It's in Acts 11, and it says this, During this sometime, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for their brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So this was the first collection of giving from the disciples in Antioch. We'll go back to the map for just a second here because it's just so great. Um, is they were the, 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 the Christians were all here in Antioch before all this got, came to be, and then they were going to bring it down to Jerusalem. Now, we have to keep in mind the geography here, this region. The regions of Galatia and Macedonia and Achaia, they were a little more lush. They were a little more green. Um, and so they would have been susceptible to drought. Um, but so much more was Jerusalem. What happened after this time is that there was a collection. It went down to Jerusalem. The famine did come about the year 46 AD. And then it actually continued a series of droughts and famines through that time all the way, almost 20 years through AD 63, um, when it appears that the famine ended. So this is why later, a few years later, now we get the letters of Paul making a second collection from all those churches, all these other churches. So the first collection was just from Achaia, um, from Antioch down to Judea, and the second collection was from all these churches down to Jerusalem. Jerusalem uh, would have really struggled. The area of Judea would have really struggled during a famine. It's very desert-like and almost arid in that region. We saw that when we went on our trip to Israel. Just a couple pictures here. You can see just how, how dry and gray it is. Um, brown, southern Judea. This is near the Dead Sea. Uh, and one more picture here, I think, uh, shows you near Jericho, so this is north of Jerusalem, so north, south, east, west of Jerusalem, it's all very, there's places that you can grow things, um, they do grow olive trees and so forth, vineyards and whatnot, but um, they would have really struggled during a drought, this climate was really hard during a drought, and so the Jerusalem believers were suffering, and in great need of food. Now the other regions would have also been suffering, this was a famine, okay, so it would have spread through the whole, whole area, um, they were had a, Paul talks about the present crisis in Corinth, probably talking about the famine. Um, he also talks about the Macedonians being in extreme poverty. So they were struggling, which makes their giving even more amazing, right, that they wanted to give to those church, those people in Jerusalem who struggle. So this is what we're going to see in these letters, and we're going we're to sit in 2 Corinthians today a little bit, but Paul spent a lot of time and energy in these letters telling the rest of the church 
to take care of the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And I don't want us to miss the unity and solidarity there because those people down in Jerusalem were mostly Jewish Christians. Not fully, there were some Gentile Christians, but mostly Jewish believers, uh, very far away from those areas of Macedonia and Achaia. And the Macedonian, Achaian, and Galatian churches were mostly Gentiles. So they were really two ethnicities, two kinds of people, and yet here you see those churches um, wanting to give to their brothers and sisters down in Jerusalem. It was a cross-cultural giving. Um, and so we should remember that this is a reminder to us that in Christ there's no slave or free, no Jew or Greek, no male or female, that we are to care for one another. Uh, people, whether from a different culture, different ethnicity, different geographic location, that we're to care and be generous. So um, we're going to look today at two churches that participated in this gift that went down to Jerusalem. And uh, we're going to be looking at Macedonia and Corinth, all right? And this is, like I said, we're going to be sitting in 2 Corinthians for a, for a bit here to hear about the attitudes of these churches, what Paul says to them. Um, and I hope that we're going to glean a little something for ourselves for today, how we can have um, Paul's attitude toward giving. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 8. And he's talking about the church in Macedonia. He's talking to the Corinthians about the church in Macedonia, just to kind of get that straight. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. What an inspiring passage, right? What a, what a church, the church in Macedonia. Um, these Macedonian churches would have been a number of churches. It would have been Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, that whole area. And we know they would have been suffering through the droughts and the famines and everything else. And they were also suffering a lot of persecution. So in addition to struggling to find food, they were also getting persecuted for their faith. Paul talks about this when he writes to the Thessalonians, um, that when he was there, he met with great opposition. Um, he was thrown in jail. He was beaten. He went through all these things. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. So for Paul to say that, you know he was treated pretty badly in Philippi. Um, as you know, but with the help of God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. And then we know after he left, the Thessalonians who became believers, they continued to suffer for their faith. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So what picture do we see here of the Macedonian churches? This is a church who, in spite of suffering for their faith, which would have brought probably physical trials and beatings, maybe imprisonment, but also probably economic deprivation, right? They'd be shut out of commerce, um, struggling financially, struggling to put food on the table, yet they're eager to give to the collection. What an example. Um, what a powerful group. What, what do we see? They gave with overflowing joy and rich generosity, even in extreme poverty. Commentators talk about the fact that there was no middle class in ancient Rome. You were either wealthy or you were poor. So for him to call them in extreme poverty meant they were below poor. They were the poorest of the poor, and yet were still giving. It says they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I think that's so fascinating. I, it convicts me. How much have I ever thought about giving beyond my ability uh, in any way? And I love this, that they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. They were begging for the privilege to give to the people in Jerusalem. That's how much love they had for the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They're begging to give. They exceeded 
even Paul's expectations, which is saying something. So let's just keep that in mind, this incredibly generous Macedonian church, as we're now going to flip to Corinth. Let's, what did we learn from Corinth? And we learned that first, they were the first ones to want to give to Jerusalem. They might have even came up with the idea. All right, so Paul was there, um, and he says this to you last year, to them in 2 Corinthians 8.10, last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to give so. Not only that, but they were an example. They were an example to the Macedonian churches, whom we already heard, you know, responded so well. It says here, this is again Paul talking to the Corinthians about what he said about them to the Macedonians. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So here we have this great group of people who were just willing to give, just like the Macedonians, eager to give, ready to give, first ones that want to give. Then what's really interesting is if you read 2 Corinthians, it takes a little bit of a turn, <laughs> and Paul's tone changes a little bit with him, with them. Um, he seems to be worried that they started out with good intentions and they're not going to follow through. <laughs> that when it really comes down to it, um, they may actually fall short of giving. Um, that, that maybe they're having second thoughts about having been so excited about giving and now they're maybe not wanting to give so much. How many of us can relate to this? That in the moment we get excited. Oh, we're going to get the missionary speaks. So like, oh yeah, we're going to give. Or you know, there's something that happen we want to volunteer for. I'm going to do that. I could sign up for that. Whatever it is, we get all excited. And then when it comes down to it <laughs> and we really have to do it, um, then we're like, well, you know, maybe that wasn't the best idea. <laughs> you know, I don't have a lot of time, you know, money's tight now, whatever it is. So it's, you know, it's very easy to be excited about something and then kind of back off. That seems to be what happened. I, I can remember one of our boys, and I won't tell you who, which one, but he, you know, he, he really hated parting with money. It just hurt him to part with money. Now they got a little allowance and we tried to encourage them to give 10% of their little allowance to God and to, and to have the physical action of putting it in the offering plate. That was the offering plate days, right? And, so, and, and he was kind of okay with the idea of giving it to God, but he didn't want to put it in the offering plate because he didn't like to part with it. Like the, the fact of it, like leaving his hands just was a problem. And so he'd say, just take it out ahead of time and would you put it in the plate? Like, don't let me see you do it. <laughs> And I'd be like, that's the whole point as you get the joy of giving. No, no, no. It just, you know, just the, uh, the thought of parting with money was so hard. And I know that some of us feel that way. It's, it can be real hard to part with money. And so this is, I think, what Paul is worried about with the Corinthians, that they started well. But now I don't know if they're going to follow through. And he calls them out. I mean, he doesn't mince words, the Apostle Paul. Second Corinthians 8, here's what he says. And here's my judgment about what is best for you. Again, he's talking to the Corinthians. Last year... You were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So he's, Paul's very reasonable here. He's saying, don't give beyond what you can give according to your means. But for crying out loud, finish what you started, carry on, keep your word. And then he gets even <laughs> stronger First, Second Corinthians 9. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and vision, finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. 
So he's calling them out. It's like, you, pr you said you wanted to do this. Uh, we're coming. Let's not be embarrassed that it doesn't actually happen. So he's really worried there. He's worried they may not fall through. Now, here's what's interesting. The Corinthian church probably had more money than any of the other churches because, uh, at least those churches that are mentioned in this gift, because um, it was a very wealthy area. Corinth was a wealthy port city. There was a lot of commerce there. Um, we actually have mention of um, some people from Corinth in the Bible. One person is Erastus of Corinth. He's mentioned several times in the Bible, and he was a prominent Christian, a helper to Paul, and he was also the steward or director of public works. So he would have been a wealthy um, believer. Um, there's, there, they've found um, stone diocese that were donated by him has his name on it um, and so he would have had money and there were probably others in the Corinthian church that had money so this church really shouldn't have had a hard time giving so it's so interesting that um, they're having a struggle now and I think this is because we tend to think it's hard you know easier to give when you have a lot of money but that's not always true um, once the money starts flowing in, sometimes we, we then kind of get excited and we're like, well, I need to save a little more and save a little bit more because maybe now more, you know, so we, we actually can begin to hoard a little bit more when we have a little bit more. And so, uh, this is maybe what's going on here in the Corinthian church. We don't really know, but Paul calls them out and he's giving us a couple of lessons that I want us to pull away from these two churches, from Macedonia and from Corinth. The first lesson is he's saying, let your giving be regular. He's very practical here with the Corinthians, even in his first letter to the Corinthians. So he's been talking about this, this gift now for two letters to the Corinthian church. In the first letter, he says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So this is a great practical suggestion here that, that works for us in the 21st century, which is simply set aside the money every week. Decide in your heart what, what you are meant to give, what God is calling you to give, and then do it faithfully. This is true of saving as well as tithing, right? I mean, it's, it's something we should be putting it aside. Um, regular giving helps us to... Um, move through that, that period of when we maybe like the Corinthians, we think, oh, I don't know, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. We say, no, I, you know, this is what the Lord put on my heart. I know I'm meant to give it. I'm just going to give it regularly. I'm going to trust that he's going to take care of things. Um, I'll say this. There'll be weeks when we won't want to give. It's just like there's weeks when you don't want to go to the gym, right? <laughs> there's weeks when you don't want to eat healthy. There's weeks when we don't want to do lots of good things, healthy things for us. Um, but when we have decided in our heart to give, and what God has called us to give, we should be faithful to it. Um, it's a good spiritual discipline. And so Paul is basically urging us to plan ahead. Don't let it be the last thing you think about, but the first thing. When the paycheck comes in, what are we saving? What are we giving? Um, and then we live on the rest. What do I set aside for God? I love the fact that he says, in keeping with your income. Of course he doesn't expect someone with very little money to give the same as somebody with a lot of money. It's in keeping his, his but, uh, but everyone can give something. If you remember, Jesus had the conversation with the disciples about the widow. And what did she put in to the offering? She put in just two little tiny coins. I, got, I forgot to bring them out, but I have little, little coins that are supposedly the widow's might. They're the tiniest thing you've ever seen. They're like, like you could pick them up on the ground. They're just so tiny. Um, but, but he praised her. He said he, she gave everything she had. So um, it doesn't have to be a large gift, but, but whatever we give, we give to the Lord. And it goes the other way as well. Again, if we have a lot of money, 
Um, we can get more tight with our money uh, because it's nice having a cushion in the bank. And so um, let's make sure that we give in keeping with our, with our income, to whom much is given, much is also required. I like the way Paul is very practical. He's also very careful with the gift. I don't know if you noticed that, but he assures them of the oversight of the giving, that it's carefully cared for, that men are going to accompany the gift and he can accompany the gift um, so that there's careful oversight. He talks more about that, which I think is really, really important. Um, so I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians 8. He says, We're sending along with Titus, the brother who was praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. Think, keep in mind, they're carrying this huge gift all the way from Achaia, Macedonia, all the way down to Jerusalem. Uh, he says, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. He's chosen faithful people to accompany the gift so it gets to whom it's supposed to go to. Churches need to learn from this. Amen? to be very careful with the gift. It's something in our vision and distinctives as a church that we uh, say that we believe in healthy oversight and accountability in every area of the church and never more so than in the money which you faithfully give to us. It is so important to me and to our leadership that we are absolutely above reproach in the way we handle the funds that you are putting into that box that you are putting your texting in and that you're putting in online. Um, I want you to know that two people who have been background checked and who are trusted leaders in this congregation are the ones who take the money out of those boxes and count it, and then they put it in a safe. And then on Monday morning, the bookkeeper takes it out of the safe, he recounts it, and then he puts it directly in the bank. I never see it or touch it or know anything about it. So that's one of the safeguards we have in place. We have safeguards in place for online giving as well. I just want you to know that there's checks and balances here because whole ministries have come down because of improper use of the funds. Amen? And we don't want any of that. And so um, Paul is just amazingly current here. I just like the Bible <laughs> in that way. We can be talking about some guy way back in ancient Rome, and yet it's so current to today. If we'd be listening to that, um, we would we would um, be good, be you know well informed. I'm also aware that as I'm speaking to you about giving and generosity, that you have many options of things to give to, give your money to. There's many incredible organizations all over Greensboro, all over the country and the world that are doing good things. There's many churches that do great things. Um, and so I just want you to know that what you give to Gate City Vineyard, what God puts on your heart to give here, um, we treat with so much respect and so much care. The money, of course, goes to paying for mundane things like my salary and the salary of the other people that work here and, and making all of this happen, the lights and the heat and the air conditioning. Thank God for the air conditioning. Uh, <laughs> amen. And, um, and things like toilet paper and paper in the copier and all that stuff, you know, obviously it cares for that. But it also pays for... The, the grocery ministry that we're able to do every Wednesday where we're serving 40-plus families and giving them huge bags of groceries every week. It also helps to pay for the backpack giveaway where we're filling up backpacks for children that can't necessarily afford to get nice new um, supplies for school, and it's gonna, we're going to have a fair here, and they're going to get to play. That's, that's what some of that money goes to. That money goes to the Vacation Bible School and to uh, Easter egg hunts and all kinds of outreaches that we do in the community, ways that we can, we can share the gospel with people. 
and that's what the money goes to. And money also goes to our benevolence fund where we're able to care for some of you who go through struggles and a hard time and, and have need of some help or even people outside of our church that we're able to help as they go through needs. So I'm very proud of our budget in that um, if you look on the budget, there is as much given to outreach as there is given to our internal ministry spent on both. So I just, I just think that's so impressive. Um, and I want us to do more and more of that, to be using the funds that come in to serve in our community, to do good um, in the community. If you ever want to know any details about any of that, where the money goes, we are an open book. You can talk to Tim Towery. I'd love him to just raise his hand in case you don't know who he is. Tim Towery, he's our treasurer, and you can talk to him about where the money goes and what it does. So again, we want to be above reproach. And so we encourage you in that vein to let your giving be regular. That's one of the things the Apostle Paul says. But the other thing the Apostle Paul says is to let your giving be generous. He uses this uh, phrase quite often. And in 2 Corinthians 9, he says this. Whoever, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. The righteousness endures forever. Paul's in reminding us of the laws of reaping and sowing, that you reap what you sow. And this is true, of course, in all areas of life, um, but it's also true in our giving. And he praised the Macedonian church for their generosity and cheerfulness. Now, it may seem kind of counterintuitive to us, but one of the things, if we are struggling financially, that we might consider doing is begin to give, even in small ways. Um, you may see that things start to shift. This is not, of course, a, a call to starve yourself so that others may eat. Paul specifically speaks to that. He says he doesn't want others to be relieved while they're hard-pressed. So we're not to give so that we can't feed our own family. Um, but there's something about a generous heart that invites abundance from God. There's something about that attitude in our heart that invites blessing. Now, let me be really clear here. Okay, I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is one that says, well, if you give more, then God's going to fill up your bank account. You're going to be so blessed, you're going to find money pouring out of things. No, you know, the blessing is not always money. Sometimes it is money. Sometimes there's other kinds of blessings. Sometimes it comes in different ways. But there's still something about a generous heart that is God's heart. And when we start to act with God's heart, then God, there's a blessing that comes with that. And there's a joy that comes with that in our own hearts and in our own lives. So we can't really expect that when we're generous, our bank account's suddenly going to be bursting. But we can expect that our heart will burst with what God is doing in our life. And it may affect our bank account as well. I was listening to a sermon recently from a pastor. And he said something very interesting, which, you know, I, I don't know if I... Um, I mean, I'm saying it, so I guess I sort of agree with it. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I don't know that it's gospel truth, okay? I just want to put that out there. But it was an interesting take on this idea of giving. And he said in his view that in the New Testament, the idea of a strict tithe, the 10% tithe that was, was very clear in the Old Testament, um, was replaced by this concept of generosity. And that what that means is actually more than the tithe, really. I mean, the 10% shouldn't be the limit, that it should be, we should be generous, Right? Um, and he cited the early church who got together and shared all their possessions. Some of them sold pieces of land and gave all the money to the apostles to distribute to others as they had need. 
Um, so this is a very, very generous type of giving, um, certainly beyond a 10% or some kind of percentage. He cited 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy 6.18, command the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous. When a rich person's generous, that's a lot of money. <laughs> um, but he's saying that's if you're if you're wealthy, if you're blessed to be wealthy, be generous, be go beyond um, the minimum. And so that's the question that maybe for us to ask ourselves today: How can we be generous? What does that look like in your individual life? Um, not simply to just keep a discipline of a tithe, which is a good thing; that's a great place to start. Um, but also to be truly generous. What is God, God speaking to you? What is He calling you to do? What does it look like in your situation, whether you have a lot of money or even if you have just very little? What would it look like to be generous? And does it carry on even beyond just money, but the way you spend your time, the way you sign up to help do greeting, maybe, <laughs> and, and the cafe, or the way you help others when they're in need and they're struggling and need a meal? Um, is that generosity a part of our life, a part of who we are? That's the heart of God. Is a He's a generous God, as we sang this morning. And so when we know that generous God and his generosity toward us, it's going to well up, like the Macedonians, well up out of us into overwhelming generosity to others. Amen? The last thing that Paul says is let your giving be trusting. And the trust we have is in God that he will care for us. I think one of the reasons we may not give at all or, or generously um, is that we're afraid. We're afraid we won't have enough that we're afraid when we need something, we won't be able to get it. And um, maybe the Corinthian church was feeling that way as well. Um, and he reassures them to trust in God, who's able to bless. It says in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. I love that phrase. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. Enriched in every way. I, I sometimes feel... As a pastor, there's, a, there's verses I can't add anything to. I mean, I can't really add anything to any scripture, but I do talk a lot about certain ones. But sometimes I just want to say, like on Facebook, when somebody just does little arrows and says this <laughs> to the comment above, like I want to say just this. Let that sit in you, that when we are generous, we're going to be enriched in every way. Maybe financially, maybe in your relationship with God and your relationship with others, maybe in your heart of compassion for others, as you are generous, then you begin to grow in compassion toward those you're being generous toward. Um, you're enriched in every way, and then so that you're then able to be generous again for every occasion. It's just such a rich verse. I want us to know that. And I don't know how that all works, um, how giving can somehow bring more abundance, but it does. It's a kingdom principle of what you reap, what you sow. None of this means that we shouldn't work hard to take care of our families. We need to have jobs and earn an income so that we can care for the people that we're responsible for. Many times in scripture, um, God talks about things like the ant who works industriously and saves for the winter and is careful and plans ahead. And all of that is good, and that's, that's very clear in scripture. We're meant to be good stewards. We're meant to be wise in our dealings, invest in good things. Um, so that we are able to take care for the people that God's entrusted to us. All of that is in our scriptures. But I will also say that I've never known a person 
who has been generous out of love for God and his people who hasn't found themselves completely supplied with whatever they need. Is there anyone that can say an amen to that? Sometimes the provision comes at the last minute, <laughs> last second. <laughs> like, Lord, is it coming? <laughs> Lord, I'm being generous. Is it coming? Um, but he, he provides. He provides for us. And I will also say this, that I've never known a person who has, has, um, has, has not from the beginning of their earning life began to make it a regular practice to give to give to their church, to give to, to great causes and needs, to, to, to make that a part of the way they start out their life, who hasn't then found by the end of their life the blessings have been enormous, sometimes financial blessings, always spiritual blessings, always the pleasure of God and the generosity. Generosity breeds generosity. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. And this is true for us in our personal lives, and it is also true for us as a church. I never worry about the finances of the church. I know that drives Tim a little crazy. <laughs> but I never worry about it because I know that as we are being faithful to do what God has called us to do, and as each one of us is listening to the Lord and giving whatever he is putting on your heart to give, whether it is a lot or a little, if we are faithful, then God is going to take care of his bride. I don't worry about that. I don't worry about that. God is faithful. He's going to supply for God's work for his kingdom. And he's doing it through you and me. He's doing it through us. There's no other what is sugar daddy that's paying for what we do. I was trying to think of a word. Like, who is that? What's that word? There's nobody, there's nobody, you know, pouring money into this place. Maybe that wasn't the right example. It's just what came to mind. <laughs> Benefactor would have been a better word. Better word. You, you will never forget that, by the way. There's nothing, no one else given to what we're doing here but you. Isn't that cool? That what we do is, is you. And it's what God is doing through you. And that's just a blessing, and I'm so blessed by that. Let me bring this to a close, please. Lord. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, see that you excel in this grace of giving. So giving to God's work and to, God, and to needs and to carry on the work of the kingdom, it's a grace. It's a grace. It's something that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, by his presence and his glory. It's an act of worship. So Paul finishes his, his admonitions to the Corinthians on this topic by saying this in 2 Corinthians 9. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So giving regularly and generously and trustingly is an offering of thanks to God. It's an act of praise to him. And then it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to praise from others. And generosity in others. We're generous because he has been so generous to us. We have a generous God. And so I want us to be a generously giving church. Not so that I can give raises to all the staff or we can get some fancy new equipment. Although I know Charles loves it when we get fancy equipment. But, you know, that's, that's not really the reason that we, I, I want us to be generous. I want us to be generous so that we can do the work of the kingdom. 
we can feed more people who are food insecure, and that we can write injustices, and we can bring the good news out to people that, that need to hear it, so that we can, we can care for one another and care for others who are in need. That's, that's why I want us to be generous, and it's going to bless you. It's going to bless your life. It's going to make you grow in your walk with Christ as you are generous to God. It doesn't matter the size of the gift, but that we give to the Lord as he has called us to give with a generous heart because of the generosity of God. And this is why every time we do an offering, I've directed the announcements people to say, our giving is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. I'm going to ask the band to come up as I'd like to introduce something a little bit new that we're going to do today. And we're going to try this for the next several months to see um, if it helps us to make this time of giving a time of worship. Um, I'd like to introduce what I'm calling generosity prayers. That as we are giving, we are able to participate. See, when we worship and sing music, sing songs, you know, we're all participating. We get to sing, we stand, we do this. Um, we used to get to participate in the offering, right? We used to pass the plate along. And there was something about that plate coming to you that you had to look at it and say, am I going to put something in it or not? <laughs> you know, there was, a, there was a moment that it was, wor- and when you put it in, it was worship, despite my son not wanting to put it in. <laughs> but, but when you put it in, there's something about, like, I'm giving this to you, God. And we don't have that anymore. Most giving is online. Um, most people stop doing the, passing the plate, um, especially with COVID, we stopped doing that, but also most of the giving is online. So it doesn't really make sense to pass the plate. But I want us to have a sense that we are involved in the giving, that we are part of this. And so this is a prayer. I'm going to actually have us pray a prayer like this. We'll probably vary it week to week, but during the offering time of our service. So you're going to see the announcements. People will lead us through a prayer. Sometimes it'll be responses. Sometimes it'll be something we'll just say together. But I want it so that we are reminded of what we're doing, that we're worshiping God as we bring the offering. And so we're going to say this generosity prayer together. If you feel comfortable, nobody's going to force you to say words you don't want to say. But if you would like to pray this with me, um, it's going to be on the screen. And let's, let's pray to God today, together. God, you are a generous God. Say it with me. God, you are a generous God. You have always given whatever we have needed, and everything we have is from you. Thank you for your lavish love. Help us to be more like you. May thankfulness well up within us as we give offerings of time, talents, and resources to further your kingdom. May our faith in you increase. Hang on. (laughs) Next one. There we go. May our faith in you increase as we trust that you will always provide. May we worship you as we give with a cheerful heart. God, you are a generous God. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this time. And I would like specifically um, to pray for those who are struggling in their finances right now. In fact, I'm going to invite the, the prayer teams to come on up. And I encourage you today that if you are that money for you is a big stressor. Um, Maybe your investments aren't going as well as you'd like or you wish you'd had money to do investments and you're wondering where the bills are going to be paid, how the bills are going to be paid. Maybe you're feeling called to give more but aren't sure how that's going to all work. Let's invite the Holy Spirit into this very practical part of our life. Feel free to come up and be prayed for. And Lord, I pray for us now that we would just trust you with this part of our life, Lord, that we would be obedient and generous that you would provide for all our needs and for the needs of our families. 
Lord, we, we, um, we know that you're bigger than our money problems. You're bigger than our money problems. And so we, we just give it all to you. We lay it at your feet. We pray that you would provide. You're the provider, Jehovah Jireh.